some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, Pat Collins was a staple of local TV news at a time when local TV reporters were celebrities. But after decades of covering snow days and street crimes, he retired a few months ago. We sat down with him to talk about his rollicking on-camera past and local TV news' uncertain future. It's Thursday, April 27th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. You retired. Uh, why was it time to leave? Well, first of all, I'm 76 years old. I've been a reporter for about 50 years. I'm a street reporter. I make my living working the streets of the city of Washington. I'm not an anchor. I don't sit in a climate-controlled room. No one comes up and dusts my face with powder and does something to make a couple of my chins go away. <laughs> you know, I live out of a live truck. I go door to door. I go step to step. It's a tough way to, to make a living. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Each day is something different. But after all that time, I figured, well, there are not many 76-year-old street reporters around. Maybe it's time for me to pull back the throttle. Mm-hmm. So I did. So and to go back to the beginning, you grew, you actually grew up in D.C. Born and raised. I grew up on H Street when H Street wasn't cool. I grew up at 324 H Street Northeast. What was it like? Well, initially, H Street was one of the largest economic streets in Washington. There was like F Street, 7th Street, and then H Street. It was the focus was the railroad. My grandfather was a railroad engineer, mm-hmm. okay? So my father uh, grew up on H Street. He worked his way through CU, went to Georgetown Medical School, became a doctor. So he put his medical office on the first floor, and we lived on the second floor of two homes on H Street. And we lived there until the riots of 68, and he had his little office. Um, and he wanted in the worst way for me to be a doctor just like him. So was he disappointed that you became a reporter? Well, I started reporting when I was 15. It was August, and I was writing those book reports that make you write in high school, right? Mm -hmm. My sister had a date. My sister was never ready on time. So I was on the front porch writing book reports. The guy comes in, he's pacing back and forth, and I'm writing, writing, writing. He looks over my shoulder, he says, hey, you're a pretty good writer. How would you like to cover high school sports for the Washington Daily News? I said, sure, I'd love to. Well, it turns out he was the sports columnist for the Washington Daily News. Wow. And come fall, I went down and I got a job covering high school sports for the Daily News. And, and they paid me $5 a story, which is pretty good. Yeah. Scripps Howard paper. 
And I learned to write from some grizzled old newspapermen, some who never went to college, but boy, could they tell a story. And they'd throw stories back at me and make me rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it. And I'd be pulling it out of a typewriter. And they told me something that stuck with me. So if you write something that's really, really, really good, read it out loud because it sort of sings. It should have a beat and a cadence of its own if it's well written, almost like you could scan it like iambic pentameter or something. And so I learned those skills and honed those skills at the Daily News. I really didn't learn how to write in high school or in college. I learned it at that little newspaper, that little engine that could at 1013 13th Street Northwest. Take that, St. John's in Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, you know, so anyway, so I was, I had a sports column when I was uh, 17 years old at the Daily News. I was editing three pages of high school sports. So it's interesting you said that about like these guys telling you to read your stories because cadence and rhythm has been such a part of your thing as a TV reporter. I carried it right with me. So how did you get into TV? Well, you were this print kid. So I worked at the Daily News. DC did not have that many eligible people to be drafted. We were always hoping the war would be over. (laughs) Well, the damn war wasn't over. So I went into the service, okay? I did two years, a year in Vietnam, and I came back. I came back to the Daily News. And uh, by the way, the war still wasn't over. And um, the news folded. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the Star. So I looked around. I said, boy, this newspaper business is not on a very happy track. Channel 9 had a very good reporter named Mike Buchanan. Right. He was a police reporter. He was just a smart guy, very good on TV. He decides one day he wants to go into the big time. He wanted to cover the president of the United States. Well, that left Channel 9 without a police reporter. So he recommended that they hire me. And so I'm going into TV. So I went out and I bought some blue patent leather shoes because I figured TV's guys always wear shiny stuff. And, you know, got a couple of new neckties and I go to work. He brings me in the office, does one of these, and he says, um, Collins, we're not going to put you on the air until you think you're ready and we think you're ready. That was 9 o'clock in the morning. When do you think I made my debut? The news starts at 6. Uh, 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, I was on the air that night. Scared, absolutely shitless. <laughs> and and I was mumbling, stumbling, and they and they just had me ad-lib a story. I think it was about a kidnapping. I don't remember. And I was so bad, I figured somebody was going to come out with one of those big hooks and just pull me off the right. set. And then I thought, oh, when I walk out, everybody's going, there he is. There's the guy who really screwed up on television. We'll never see him again. You know, I was just so embarrassed. But they didn't fire me. And little by little, I picked up on it. And within a year, I was, I'd say I was fairly productive. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets. And throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, 
the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearboratacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And so this all happens at a time when like local TV news is becoming a thing and you guys uh, are sort of the the celebrities of Washington. Right. right. We were on the ground floor of local television news uh, becoming a real factor in this city. What was it like to be like a recognizable face all of a sudden? I don't know. It was okay. You know, it feeds your ego. You know, you get a good seat at the restaurant, but we didn't, you know, our restaurant was the dancing crab around the corner. <laughs> so you got known for, for two things uh, over your tenure in terms of subjects of coverage. One was crime and the other was snow. Right. Um, I, I, talk I, to my, me about those. Well, first of all, my career has morphed into uh, two, two topics, right? I, I uh, cover murders and I measure snow. And... Um, well, the murders, I mean, murders are hard, you know, but my goal in covering murders was to not treat murders like a statistic. I think too many times news agencies just, tre- oh, it's another murder over in Southeast, you know, and it's, it's like rote. Everybody has a story, no matter who they are, no matter what their life, and I try to put a human face on everybody who got murdered or lost their life to violence in our city. That was my challenge on murders. Because I think once we start treating murders as statistical information, it takes a little bit away from the soul of the city. Now to snow. (laughs) I don't know why, but I ended up doing a lot of weather features, a lot of snow features. And I realized, as a lot of people who live around here, that sometimes when the snow falls, people in Hyattsville might get more than people in Fairfax, or people in Fairfax might get more than than people in Rockville. So I said to myself, what I need to do is go around to the different neighborhoods, the different regions, measure the snow. I would measure it, and then I would talk to people how that snow impacted their lives. And I went around, my first snow stick was a CMP telephone yardstick mm-hmm. that I got from my daughter who was using it for a school project. And so I'd go around and measure snow, measure snow, and then I'd talk about it. So it got to be known as the snow stick. Well, then all of a sudden, here comes Snowmageddon. Well, I think I was on the air for like 15 hours that day during Snowmageddon, which I think, if I remember correctly, was not just one, but two days of snow. I remember saying it's almost impossible to measure this snow because it's like trying to measure snow in a snow globe because it was coming at you every which way. So everybody's at home because in Washington, people treat snow as if it's nuclear waste falling from the sky. You know, the first thing you do is hunker down. Hunker down, okay. 
And so I had a captive audience. We had probably close to maybe a million viewers. I don't know, a lot. We had a ton. And people were got a little cabin crazy uh, towards the end. So they came out and started to visit me. And they bring matzo ball soup. They brought pizza. They brought their dogs. They brought their kids. And I was measuring snow at Connecticut and Pheasant. But the snow stick became a big deal. So after that, at the station, okay, Mona, who was in charge of you know stuff at the station, treats and treasures and things, came up with, well, we got to get a better snow stick for Collins. So she came up with the official Pat Collins snow stick. It has markings for all of the historic snows in the city. And then, of course, it has inches. So you, you can measure the snow of today and compare it to the snow of yesterday. And then people wanted it. Everybody wants a snow stick. I'd be on murder scenes. People, I'd interview, you know, relatives of victims, and we'd talk about what happened. And, oh, by the way, you know how I can get one of those sticks? <laughs> and i say, yeah. So let me ask you, you came up in newspapers at the time when, you know, the, the idea of there being more than one big city daily was going away. Then you get into to local TV news right at the beginning as it takes off and becomes a thing. And now it's obviously in a, in a much different position. But as you just said, like, people were doing tricks on the air to get a snow stick. Right. Um, it was a big part of people's lives. Looking at it kind of in a journalism way, how has the, how Washington is covered changed? I mean, I, it, it seems to me like it got better or it got to be more reporters and then a lot less. Well, I think a couple things. First of all, cable television probably has done more harm than good to the total knowledge of mankind. When they get a story, they have a way of beating it up. And hammering ends, they pound it, pound it, pound it. And they'll report, a lot of it, you wonder, who's fact-checking them? Because a lot of the stuff that goes out on cable is, you know, part rumor, part gossip, mm-hmm. part fact, a fact what I don't know. Did you ever get, get something wrong? Where, Because I'd imagine that if you got it wrong on Channel 4 News, you'd hear, you, you'd hear about it much quicker than if you got it wrong on cable. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but I try not. I don't. I don't have any really big flubs that I know of that I remember. But I've I've had errors. Yeah, I'm not perfect. You know, I got a score. I got a score of the Redskins game wrong once. <laughs> I had them losing, and they actually won. Uh, but that sort of thing. And I've been I've been very careful. But we have people who check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, in cable. You know, first of all, so you have cable. And then social media comes up. And so you and I could get together and we could we could start a news operation. We could have a blog. We could put shit out there. And half it could be true. Half it is part of our personal views. And But then somebody else picks it up and they repeat it and they repeat it. And before you know it, people are, wow, well, I heard it there. And then I heard it there. I heard it three times from three different sources. So it's got to be true. There's so much, you know, it's almost someday you, you, you look out and you, and you say, maybe they, you should have a license to practice journalism. Right. Which is scary, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, because who controls the license right. and then who revokes the license, right? But the, the thing of it is, is that there's just, there's just too much, I don't want to say reckless, but it could be reckless. Some of it's reckless. Some of it's just laziness. Some of it's uh, people who just go and, you know, Google something. Are they Wikipedia something? Mm-hmm. So not everything on Wikipedia is true. And there's not a lot of fact-checking anymore. Um, 
the way it, it, it used to be. And I think some of that is filtered down into uh, local TV as well. You know, I think, I think, I'm not sure, there are some agencies who judge their reporters by their popularity, how many clicks they get on Facebook mm -hmm. or how many Twitter followers they have. And that's how they judge them as being good or bad. Right. But that would sort of encourage reporters to do things that would get more clicks, uh, more followers that may not be the best thing to do. So you left Channel 4 right around the same time as Dorian Gensler. The Post's metro section has had some layoffs in this last round. How screwed are we as local news consumers? I don't think we're as screwed as we think we are, okay? I mean, it's a metamorphosis that goes on, uh, to use a sports analogy. You know, sports teams sometimes get different coaches. They get different quarterbacks. They get different running backs. Or they get different owners, you know, uh, we hope. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, it seems like, oh, it's just not, I don't want to be one of those grumpy old guys. It's not as good as it was when I was there. Things have changed, techniques have changed, but still fundamentally, most people, most of the reporters in the city of Washington on television that I know are, first of all, pretty good people, honest people, and they try hard to tell the most truthful story they can at the moment they tell it. Now, there are some anomalies there, people who might go across the line to uh, do things to, uh, again, get more followers on Twitter, more clicks on Facebook or whatever the hell it is, and try to impress their bosses. But overall, I would say we're in pretty good stead. I will also say, I read the post, I read the post every day. And they have a little thing there at the Post. Post is getting into the television business. Mm -hmm. They have those seven things to know in the morning. And for somebody who has such a hectic lifestyle as myself, it sort of encapsulizes the yeah. whole thing. And I'm sitting back saying, you know, that's a pretty damn good idea. Mm -hmm. you know. And they throw in a little ad here and there. So speaking of hectic, hectic lifestyles, how is retirement treating you? Uh, you right, now, yeah. uh, right now, I'm... I've just gone from one paying job to one that doesn't pay. Oh. I have just a whole list of honeydews uh, <laughs> around here. You know, it keeps me busy. So, excuse me, come back and talk to me in about you know, two months, I'll tell you. Well, so it's been a couple months. Are there any stories that have happened in these last couple months that you wish you could be out covering? Oh, sure. You know, there, there's a lot. I'm upset by the level of violence in the city. Mm -hmm. I really am. And I'm waiting for the day. And it may never come when not just the police chief, who I think is a very good and competent man, not just the police chief, but what about the prosecutor? And what about the judges? That they all come out and say, we've had enough of this gun violence. If you're caught with a gun and you come into my courtroom, you're going to go to jail for at least a year. No questions asked. And the prosecutor says, it's the same thing. I want to hear from the other branches of justice in our city. I want to see some strength there. I want to see the FBI get more involved in, in hunting down some of these criminals, because a lot of them are repeat offenders. There's something wrong with that. It's a weird thing. When you came into TV, 
you literally had had your house, everything stolen from it. We were at the time a fast shrinking city that had a reputation for terrible crime and violence and so on. Since then, we've kind of we've gone we've, full we've circle. Gone full circle, right? Right. Yeah. When I was coming into TV, well, I lived at 910 Constitution Avenue, which at the time was still pioneer country. You know, it took two keys for me to get in my front door. And now, my God, uh, uh, you can go up to like 18th, right. 18th Street near RFK, and they call that Capitol Hill. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but the crime is still there. There's still pockets that are festering. There, there's neighborhoods down at 8th and O, Northwest, 8th and N, down near um, O Street Market. Mm -hmm. They've had gangs that have been warring down there since I was a kid. And now they're in a third generation. And they shoot at each other just because I think it's a tradition. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, I got one other question, which is so I am having, you know, I have moved from print to a spoken medium. And one of the things that uh, we got to get used to, as you probably remember, is like coming up with cadences and so on. And you, like, you came up with this, you know, you developed like a Pat Collins way of speaking. Right. It goes right back to that, uh, that daily news training. It's right. reading it out loud. I, I'm a slow talker. I'm a slow talker. You know, one of the hardest things to do, and a lot of reporters don't do it, is to look in the barrel of the lens of a camera mm -hmm. and keep your mouth shut. Because when you're talking to someone or interviewing somebody, uh, give them a chance to tell their story and answer the question. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. This is awesome. You're welcome. And before you go, here is some quick news. Loudoun County Public Schools are getting major pushback over a new plan to make some single-use school bathrooms gender neutral. At a board meeting on Tuesday, some parents raised concerns that the bathrooms would make students uncomfortable or even unsafe, calling them drug rooms or sexual assault rooms. The bathrooms are supposed to be ready in the fall. Meanwhile, D.C. is apparently great about planting new trees, but failing miserably at preserving them. That's according to a new report from the nonprofit Casey Trees. They recorded that the city lost 565 acres of tree canopy between 2015 and 2020. That's the size of the National Mall. The nonprofit included some recommendations in its report, including designating more trees as protected species. And lastly, say goodbye to all that helicopter noise, or at least a lot of it. Federal officials are requiring helicopters to fly at higher altitudes and take alternative routes that would be less disruptive to residents in D.C. and Northern Virginia. The Federal Aviation Administration has been collecting noise complaint data from residents over the past year and was able to use it to set the new rules. Hey, Pat, the CityCast hosts have to read a sign-off at the end of the show, and I was wondering if you could show me how it's done. Well, that's all for today here on the CityCast. Now, if you enjoyed the show, tell everyone about it. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around here. Bye-bye. That was awesome. We had a bookie working in the sports department. Fats. His name was Fats? Fats, oh yeah. If you, if you name your kid Fats, you kind of know they're going to grow up to be a bookie.